Surely there is a mine for silver in a place where they refine gold. Iron is taken from the dust and copper is smelted from rock. Man puts an end to darkness and to the farthest limit he searches out the rock in gloom and deep shadow. He sinks a shaft far from habitation, forgotten by the foot. They hang and swing to and fro far from men. The earth from it comes food, and underneath it is turned up as fire. Its rocks are the source of sapphires, and its dust contains gold. The path no bird of prey knows, nor has the falcon's eye caught sight of it. The proud beasts have, no, have not trodden it, nor has the fierce lion passed over it. He puts his hand on the flint. He overturns the mountains at the base. He heaves out channels through the rocks. In his eyes see anything precious. He dams up the streams from flowing. In what is hidden, he brings out to the light. The work in wisdom be found. And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its value, nor is it found in the land of the living. The deep says, it is not in me. And the sea says, it is not with me. Pure gold cannot be given in exchange for it, nor can silver be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire. Gold or glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for articles of fine gold. Coral and crystal are not to be mentioned. And the acquisition of wisdom is above that of pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. Where then does wisdom come from? And where is the place of understanding? Thus it is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the sky. Abaddon and death say, with our ears we have heard a report of it. God understands its way and he knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth and he sees everything under the heavens. When he imparted weight to the wind and meted out the waters by measure. When he set a limit for the rain and a course for the thunderbolt. Then he saw it and declared it. He established it and also searched it out. And to man he said, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. Father in heaven, as we come before you this morning to worship you, Lord, to praise you for your, your greatness, Lord, your power, your sovereignty, your care of us, Lord, every detail, Lord, you are in control of. And we thank you for that, Father. I pray this morning as I, as I attempt to preach your word, Lord, be with me, strengthen me, Father. May you, um, the truth of your word be clear and your people encouraged, Father, for your glory and our good. Thank you. Amen. Job 28. My title of my sermon is Hold On to the Rope. And my argument is, in the midst of trials and suffering, continue to stand in awe of God and to depart from evil. Growing up, raising our kids, we, we loved reading the stories of uh, the frontier days and um, lo- what life was like, uh, reading books on hermits up in Idaho and Montana and um, just the, the trials and uh, sufferings that they went through. And, and one of the things that was a real danger for them were blizzards. Uh, blizzards would come on real fast in the Midwest and sometimes it would trap people as they were coming to and fro from, from town to, to home. And the blizzards could be so severe that people would end up wandering off uh, miles away from their destination and end up dying out there, freezing to death in these blizzards. Inside these blizzards, the, your orientation is, is, is unstabilized. Uh, your sense of direction is taken from you. 
Uh, there are stories of even cattle being froze to death in blizzards, standing straight up, buried in snow. Other stories of people getting close to home, but to miss home and, and die, being only five feet away from the house. These blizzards were dangerous. They were severe. But one thing they did to overcome it is they would end up tying a rope from the house out to the barn, outhouse, anything they needed to get to. They would tie this rope. So if they ever were in a blizzard or got caught in a blizzard, they could hold on to that rope. And that rope would guide them to where they, they needed to get without being uh, lost because of it. In our text this morning here, Job is in a blizzard. Job is in the midst of severe suffering. He's, he's at a point here in chapter 28 where he doesn't understand what's going on. He doesn't know what's happening in heaven. Job starts off with God and Satan. And, and God brings up Job to Satan. Have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him. He, he's so righteous. He's incredible. And Satan's reply is, sure, look how much you've blessed Job. Of course he, he honors you. Of course he serves you. You take away all that stuff from you, he'll curse you to your face. And so God says, okay, he's in your hands. And so Satan goes out and he, and he wipes out Job's riches. Job's one of the greatest men in the East. His, his livestock uh, numbers in the thousands. He's a wealthy man. He's a man of, of substance. And so Satan goes out and he takes out his livestock, his wealth, his riches, all in one day. And Job, unbeknownst of what's going on, and he's suffering through that. And not only does he take out his livestock, but he takes out his children, his 10 children, his seven sons and his three daughters, whom Job had always continually made intercession for. Job was so righteous that he acted as the priest of his home. His concern was for his children, and he would, as they lived their lives, he would continually pray for them, making intercession for them in case they had cursed God in their hearts. Job was a righteous man. He feared God, and he, and he shunned evil. This is from God's own mouth about Job. In one sense, God is almost praising Job for how righteous he is. Job is honestly to me one of the scariest men in the Bible, how righteous he is. He's, he's, he doesn't speak like how we speak today. Oh, I'm such a sinner. And oh, I can't get out of this. And oh, Job didn't do that. Job determined with his own eyes not to lust after women. He was, he was a man that feared God, stood in awe of God and departed from evil. Job was the wisest man at his time there. And when I talk about wisdom and in, in being wise in terms of Job, it's skillful living. It's that he takes what he knows of God and he employs it in his life and he, he lives accordingly. And so Job is doing this. And Job is living life in the fear of God. But, God, but Job doesn't know what's going on in heaven. And as I said, his, his life started ticking away. His children are ticking away. And one day he loses everything. Everything. And what's Job's famous reply? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
Job did not in the midst of it. And remember, it's all on stage. The angels are watching. This is a duel between God and Satan. Satan says, take it away. He'll curse you. And he, what does he do? He praises God. There's a victory for God in this moment. He, 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 Job does not curse God. And so, again, Satan and God meet up again. And, Joe, and God, again, brings up Job. And uh, he says, again, have you considered Job? Even though you incited me against him, he holds fast to my word. He holds fast to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But t- touch his life and he'll curse you to your face. Yeah, he, he, may, he may take away his goods, his riches, these things. But, but touch his very life, touch his body and he'll curse you to the face. And God says, go at it. And so Satan uh, strikes Job and puts boils on him. It says from the sole of his feet to the top of his head, his body's covered in boils. And he's sitting there in an ash heap, scraping boils, covering himself in, in dust, and suffering through the midst of this tremendous loss. He doesn't understand it. He doesn't know what's going on. And as you look at Job and you go through the book of Job, he's, he wants to know why. What have I done? What is going on? And to make matters worse, Job's three friends show up. And at first they, they do real well. They sit with Job for seven days and, and, and they lament with Job. But then after a while, they begin to talk. And the theology of Job's friends is basically the modern day prosperity gospel. Well, Job, you're suffering because obviously there's some kind of sin in your life. If, if you were righteous, this wouldn't have happened to you, Job. Job, just, just search yourself. Find the sin that's there. Confess it to God and you'll be restored. Repent, Job. You'll be fine. See, Job's friends don't have enough information either. In fact, what they're saying to Job is absolutely the opposite of what's going on. Job is in this condition because he is so righteous. <laughs> That's amazing. It's not because he's suffering from his sin. It's that he's so righteous. God uses him to put him on display of the power of faith. And so, in the midst of this, through this suffering, the loss, the friends abusing him, we come to chapter 28. And Job, in his dialogue, he begins in chapter 28, uh, my first point, treasures in the earth and their difficulty in finding them. There are treasures in the earth. Job goes into saying, certainly there is a place that silver is mined. There's a mine for silver and a place to refine gold. Iron is taken from the dust and copper is smelted from rock. So in this midst of this trial, Job, he begins in his dialogue, he begins to talk about mining. He begins to talk about precious stones, gold, copper, things that are needed for life, these things that we hold so valuable. And certainly there's a place we know where it's at. But the problem is it's, it's really difficult to get to them. It's very difficult to get to them. And so he says, man puts an end to darkness. Into the farthest limit, he searches it out. He sinks a shaft far from habitation, forgotten by the foot. They hang and swing to and far from men. 
The imagery here is the, the picture of a, of a shaft being dug down into the earth, deep shaft. In mining practices at that time, they would swing from ropes from the surface and go down into these shafts. The picture is of men going down into these great holes and hanging by ropes. They're swinging and they're carving out the inside of the earth. They're going to places man has never been before. It's right, great difficulty to get to these treasures. We know they're there. We know the location of them. But it's with great difficulty to get there. Great danger to get to there. And then he goes on. From the earth comes food. And underneath it is turned up as fire. So it's almost like in this imagery, as these men dig these shafts and they, they plummet down into the depths of the earth. And he says underneath it is tossed up as fire. The, the difficulty and the, 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 just the severeness of going after these, pres- of these precious stones. It's almost like he flashes up and he looks at the surface of the earth and we see these grain fields. We see these gardens. We see these idyllic farms. But underneath as it was a world of being turned upside down. Men of going, sinking shafts and going after these precious stones. The path, of, the birds don't know the path. The falcon's eye has not caught sight of it. The proud beasts have not trodden it. Nor the fierce lion has passed over it. But man has gone to it. We know it's down there. We've dug for, down for it. We've put the effort in it. We've risked our lives to go after it. I, I looked into modern mining practices of today what it all entailed. And some of our modern day mines are two and a half miles from the surface of the earth down in, into there. There are tunnels carved out through these mines that you can, if combined together, just in one mine, combined together, you could travel from Las Vegas to New York. It's extensive, huge mines down into the earth. Thousands of men working at one time, carving up, digging up the earth, going after these precious stones. And we know the dangers of it, right? Through the last few years and uh, collapses in, in the tunnels, men being trapped in there. It is so dangerous and so difficult going after these things. It's, just like, it's, like, it's like the earth is being turned up. And he says that exactly in verse 9. He puts his hand to the flint. He overturns the mountains at the base. He uses channels through the rocks. In his eyes see anything precious. He dams up streams that are flowing even. Like this is extensive. This is incredible. The engineering, the ingenuity to go after these gems, the difficulty of them. Man has turned up the earth to go after them. It's, it's, it's inconceivable, but it, it happens. And we look at it and we're amazed by the ingenuity of man. And, and I think, I was, I'm thinking to myself, Job's thinking... Well, that's awesome. But where can I find wisdom? We know where the precious stones are, but I don't need precious stones. I just lost 10 of my children. I don't care about mining practices. I just lost everything I have. My life is destroyed. It is turned upside down. I don't need precious stones. I don't need to know the ins and out of mining. But he does want to know why. Why is this happening? Job's friends continue to barrage him. Job, 
you're one of the worst kinds of sinners, essentially, is what they get out there. Their, 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 their attack towards Job just keeps increasing, increasing gently. At first, there's, well, there must be sin in your life, but after a while, it gets to be, Job, come on. Look at Eve, the way even you're talking. You, you, you are a man that, you, there is sin hidden in you. Repent. You know, you know what else, Job? Your, your kids probably even deserve to die. This is how, this is the, the, the vitriol that his friends are coming after him. They are not friends. These, these men are coming after him so hard. Eliphaz in Job 22 says, God has entered into judgment with you because of your wickedness, Job. You're wicked, Job. Job in 21, 1 through 5 says this in this moment. Then Job answered, Listen carefully to my speech and let this be your way of consolation. Bear with me that I may speak. He's speaking to the three friends. Then after I've spoken, you may mock. As for me, is my complaint to man? And why should I not be impatient? Look at me. Be astonished, my friends. And put your hand over your mouth. Job is sitting there. I don't know if you've ever had a boil. They're disgusting, but they're painful, and they're pussy, and they ooze. And he has them from the sole of his foot to the top of his head. He's literally covered in them. He's suffering at a level none of us know. And it even says in Job 7, he says, I'm covered in worms. He's such a sight. I mean, imagine boils covering your face. Your eyes are distorted. You can't see out of them. You've got pus running down your skin. He's taking dirt and covering himself with it. He's, 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 he's suffering through the loss of his family. Life as he knows it is gone. And he doesn't know why. And he doesn't understand it. And his friends are just beating him down. You're the worst kind of sinner, Job. Just repent. Just repent. And he's like, behold me, look at me, my friends. Have pity on me. He says that. Pity me. Pity me, all you, my friends, for the hand of God has struck me. But I thought Satan struck him. Let's see, Job's theology is better than his friends, right? He knows ultimately God is sovereign and nothing can happen to him apart from the sovereignty of God. It's not that he's blaming God. It's just that he knows God is sovereign. He knows nothing can happen apart from God's sovereign will. And he even says that in the beginning. And, and God goes so far as to say, in, in all this, Job did not sin when he accredited it to God for his condition. And so does Job concerned about mining and precious stones at this point? He's not concerned about that. He's, he's not concerned about anything. He needs to know why. He needs to understand and so he's searching. He's digging. It's almost like in Job 28, he's beginning to preach to himself. He's losing his bearings. The snowstorm is starting to take, overtake him. He's got to, to regroup. He's got to come back and get his balance. He doesn't know what's going on. And I know some of you feel like that today. I know that life has thrown you curveballs that have left you unbalanced, have left you disturbed. And we are always in the midst of either coming out of trials, going into trials, in the midst of trials. Trials are promised. They're for our good. 
but they are disturbing and they do cause us to suffer and we struggle through them. And I know that some of you, even though you may not be in a struggle or a mode of suffering right now, it's the anticipation of it. You're watching the news and you're seeing reports of possible food shortages, our dollar collapsing, CBDs, digital currencies, the loss of the sovereignty of our nation, the, 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 the um, moral degradation of our society, and you're scared. You don't know what's going to happen. And it's in these moments that we need to regroup and bring our bearings back so that we don't lose our joy in the Lord. And we don't need to lose our joy in the Lord in these midst. And so Job is searching here. He, he's, he's preaching to himself. He's regrouping. He's going. He's starting with, we know where silver is. We know where gold is. We know where these things are. It's difficult to get there. It's, it's very difficult to get there. But at least we know where to look. But where can you find wisdom? The difficulty in wisdom is we can't even find it. At least we know where to go and mine. But wisdom, point number two, wisdom cannot be found in this world. And that's the difficulty of it. It's not to be found. In verse 12, but where can wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its value, nor is it found in the land of the living. Man has tried, right? We put together uh, philosophies. We put together systems of thought. Uh, I think of uh, Epicureanism, Hedonism, Humanism, Stoicism. These are all philosophies designed for us to help us understand life. And when we understand life, then we are able to control life. We're able to guard our life. We're able to make decisions accordingly. But the problem with man's philosophy, man's wisdom, is it really only works when you're in good health and things are going right and you can enjoy life. Think about Epicureanism and Hedonism. The pursuit of pleasure, Right? What kind of pleasure do you get when your body's riddled with disease? You've lost your sense of taste. You can't keep control of your body. Disease is ravaging your mind. You can't think anymore. What good is hedonism doing you? It's, it fails. There's no wisdom in it. it. It cannot bring us in the final answers that we need to life. It cannot answer the questions, why are we suffering? Why am I going through this? And let alone humanism. What, what answers does humanism have in the midst of evil? When, when terrorists attack a place and people, random people are shot up and killed and destroyed because of the ideologies of another man. What answers does humanism have for that? It has no answers. In fact, the answer from it is really one that is, well... You're just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Sorry, buddy. That's the answer. That's, that's, that's despair. There's no hope in that. And stoicism, I mean, what is a life without affections? What, what is a life without your, your, your heart on fire? That's not a life. 
We don't want to suppress our feelings. We want to bring them in line with the truth of God and enjoy this life in, in all of its wonders. A man who doesn't enjoy his affections, call that a sociopath or psychopath. They have no answers to life and its difficulties and its burdens and its troubles. When I, we watched a movie a few years ago, Jazz and I, it's called uh, Me Before You. I don't know if you guys have saw it, but it was a love story. And uh, it's a story about this young man. He, he's in the prime of life, young. He, he's graduated from the top colleges. His life is in front of him. He's good looking, built strong, gets in a wreck, and he's paralyzed from the waist down. And he, he he's becomes depressed he sits in his home. He doesn't go out. This man was active and full of life, and now he has no hope for living, nothing. It's gone. And so the family brings in a, a, a young nurse to, to take care of him, wash him, do the things he has to do. But this young nurse that they bring in, she's, she's vivacious. She's got big energy. She's lively. And, and her life, she begins to affect him. And he, he begins to, to perk up and he begins to enjoy life again. And she ends up taking him on trips and they're just doing life together. They're dancing together. She's on a dance floor in a wheelchair with them and he's loving life. And I was like, man, this is a great show. I really, love wins out, right? Love restores. Love brings life back. But then the twist in the story is he just can't live the way he's living as opposed to the way he was before. He, he can't seem to want to give up the way he was before. And so he decides to go to the doctors and euthanize himself. And I'm looking at this story like, you just ruined this great love story promoting, that's, that's good? He had life with this. This woman was willing to love him. This woman was willing to... to, to in spite of his uh, <clears throat> handicaps, love him and be with him. And, but, you know, if I just can't be who I am, it's better just to die. That's, that's not wisdom. That's, that's insanity. So man has tried. Man has tried to bring these wisdoms. And Job says, it's not among man. Man has no wisdom. I've searched. I've looked. The deep says it's not in me. The sea says it's not in me. And so it can't be found. And so he goes on from 15 to 19, talking about the value of wisdom. If it can't even be found, then all the gems and all the stones and all the precious uh, wealth that you have gone after in these mines, if you are to spend a lifetime to gather them up, it wouldn't equal the value of wisdom. It wouldn't equal the value of what you need this life. And this wisdom. You don't need these precious stones. You don't need the things that are, you need wisdom. You need to know how to live this life in light of a sovereign God. You need the wisdom for skillful living. And so it can't be valued. It can't be found. Can't put a price on it. What profit is you gain the whole world and you lose your soul. So again, in verse 20, he says, where then does it come from? He's at a loss. Where does it come from? And where is the place of understanding? Thus it is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the sky. Abaddon and death say, with our ears, we've heard a report of it. So even at death, or you take someone who's lived from, from birth 
unto old age. And the most I can say is, I think I heard something about wisdom one time. It's elusive. It's not here. And so Job, it's as though Job sitting in that dust, he starts off in this sermon to himself. He looks down into the earth and there's no hope. He looks to, to the, the surface of earth and there's no hope. There's no wisdom to be found. And then he lifts his eyes up. And he, he, gives, he answers it himself. God understands its way and he knows its place. Point number three, wisdom comes only from God. God understands its ways and he knows its place for he looks to the ends of the earth. He sees everything under the heavens. God is full knowledge of everything that takes place. He's ordained the days. He's, there's nothing he doesn't know. There's nothing that escapes his attention. There's no detail that he does not know about. And Job goes on to highlight this through the hydrological cycle. For he looks to the ends of the earth. He sees everything under the heavens. When he imparted weight to the wind and meted out, meted out the waters by measure. When he set a limit for the rain and a course for the thunderbolt. Then he saw it and declared it. He established it and also searched it out. It says Job is, is taking the fringes, the edges of God's wisdom in creation through the hydrological system. If, if God knows how to give weight to wind, if his knowledge is so great, I, wouldn't even, I didn't even know there was weight to wind. I actually Googled it up to, to see if this is what it was. I think some translations say the force of wind. But uh, actually in 1600s, there was a scientist that discovered there is a weight to wind. And uh, Job knew about it and God certainly knows about it through his wisdom and knowledge. And in his wisdom, in his understanding, think about it in the hydrological system. If God didn't put a weight to the wind, if he didn't give a measure to the rains, then, then, then the ocean and its, its evaporation and moving rains inland, if there was no organization to that, if there's no, nothing that was governing that, how, how would that work out for us? It'd, it'd be dumping in one spot continually or continually dry in one spot and continually it, would, it wouldn't work out. You need that wisdom to set it in place, that set it in that order that is effective. And that's what he's saying. If, if God's wisdom, if he has that wisdom that we don't even begin to understand even of the, of the understanding of weight to wind, he knows how to meet out the waters and measure it. Wouldn't it be wise if that's who we look to for our wisdom? If we couldn't put together the hydrological system, he can. Wouldn't it then be wise to look to him for that wisdom? And that's what God says. Then he saw it and declared it. He established it and also searched it out. And to man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. God says, behold, listen up, pay attention. You want the understanding you need? You want to be able to live your life in a skillful way? Stand in awe of me. Know who I am. 
Know my attributes. Know my sovereignty. Know my power. Know my love. Know my wrath. Know who I am. And then you will have the wisdom you need to live your life skillfully. Then you will depart from evil if you stand in awe of me. Church, that's what we need to have. We need to stand in awe of our God, in reverence, so that we know how to live our lives accordingly in the midst of suffering. Because what suffering linkers want to do, we want to run away. We want to run away so bad, and we want to find pleasure in other places. We just want to escape it. And so I believe Job here, as he's preaching to himself, Job is always asking why, why, why I did not do anything to deserve, to deserve this. But what Job brings him back, himself back to at ground zero is not the why, but the who. He needs to remember who. And he needs to keep doing what he's been doing from the beginning. And as God says this in verse 28, to fear God. That's exactly what Job's been doing from the beginning. Look at verse 1. Of, well, you know, I'll just read it to you. Chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was blameless, upright. Listen to this. Fearing God and turning away from evil. Job was the man he was because he stood in awe of God. He really stood in awe of God. He believed it with all his heart. And that's how he ordered his life. He really believed it. He really reverenced and respected God. And he had success through it. It kept him away from evil. It kept him from going into places. His own account in Job 31, he, he, he runs down his life and how he practiced his life. This is what his life looked like. 31, 1 through 4, he made a covenant with his eyes not to lust after women. 5 through 8, he doesn't lie to get ahead in his, in his ranching, his business, his farming. 9 through 12, he, allows him, he does not allow himself to be enticed by other women. 13 through 15, he respects his servants. He treats them with dignity and honor. 16 to 23, he's an advocate to the poor. Widows and orphans know they can come to him and receive help. He's not gobbling everything up for his own pride and glory in this land, but he knows to help others in need. 24 to 28, God is the only one he trusts in, not gold, not his business savvy, none of these things. He's trusting in God the whole way. In 29 to 37, he does not exult over the calamity of his enemy even. And his home is open to the alien and the traveler. The thing that stands out to me in 31 there is he, he goes through the list of how he's lived his life. Is I think of the way we describe our lives in our Christianity. It's kind of like, I believe in God. <laughs> we believe in Jesus. My faith is in Christ, the gospel. But then it becomes a list of, well, I, I don't watch TV. I don't curse. I don't drink. Uh, I, don't, I don't hang around the wrong kind of crowds. It becomes a list of like what we don't do. But what do you do? 
Certainly, we don't do these things. Certainly, we turn from evil. It's, it's not to be had, right? It's not there. But, but then what is on the other side? What are we doing on the other side? What are you doing with the resources God has given you? How is this life, this life that he's given us, this gift that he's given us, how does the, the transformative power of the gospel in your life work itself out towards the world? And so we looked at this Job going through, going to this sermon he preaches him to himself, to, to gird himself up, to strengthen himself up, to get back to where he was, to get back to this ground that he needs to continue to, to follow the Lord. Job knows this is where he has been. And this is where he's headed. And now, as, and so now, this morning as we, as we move forward, as we, as we continue in this life, and the blizzards strike us, and the suffering strikes us, and the fear strikes us, and the uncertainty strikes us, Hold on to that rope. Hold on to that rope, the rope of the wisdom of God. Hold on to God himself. Hold on to Christ, who is the full embodiment of the wisdom of God, who to us who are being saved is the power and wisdom of God. Hold on to Christ. Hold on to him. He is our good shepherd. He lays down his life for us. He picks he, he lays down his life for us to pay for our sins and then he picks up his life back up for us and he makes intercession for us. He's all powerful. He's absolutely sovereign. I don't know of anybody else who can lay their life down and pick it back up, but he can. Know him. This is the one you're following. Stand in awe of that. Stand in awe of who he is. And the problems of this world will, will go away. This is who you follow. This is the, his power, his glory. Stand in the awe of his sovereign love for us. He looked down. He chose you. He set his love on you. He died for your particular sins. His love for you. Stand in awe of that. What can man do to me? What can food shortages do to me? What, what can the dollar collapsing do to me? Jesus loves me. I'm going to be afraid of that. Jesus loves me. The one who created everything and upholds it by the word of his power. And I'm going to be afraid of what's going on in America. No, no. Stand in awe of him. Stand in awe of your God. He promises in Romans 8.28, he's working all things for our good. Stand in awe of his sovereign trustworthiness. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Stand in awe of that. He never lies. His word is sure. We can bank on it. He says, everything, everything I work in your life is for your good. Do you believe that? The calamities that are coming, do you believe they're for your good? The thing, and the calamities you can't even explain. Job never got the answer of why. And he didn't need to know why. 
He just needed to know who. And it's the same for us. We don't need to know why. I remember uh, listening to Elizabeth Elliot speak one time on uh, the death of her husband, Jim Elliot. Remember, he was the missionary. A group of guys went down to South America uh, and then killed very shortly into their mission trip by the natives down there. And I remember her speaking of it and how she she, she, said, she said, well, you know, you, you could say that it helped us advance the mission. You could say it, it got us built trust with the natives. You could say these things, but ultimately, I don't know why the Lord killed Jim. I don't know why. And I'll probably never know until the end of this life, but it's okay. He's trustworthy. He's good. He loves us. And his interests are for us. We don't have to know why. We just need to know who. So in the midst of the storms, the blizzards, hold on to the rope of his trustworthiness. Hold on to the rope of his sovereign power. Hold on to the rope of his goodness. Stand in awe of his sovereign ordination. David says in Psalm 139, Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me. Brothers and sisters, we were born for this time. This is our time. We were made for this time. He's brought us in at the time he wants us in. And he's going to take us out on the day he wants us and that he's, that he's limited it for us. We're not going to die one day earlier or one day later. It's his sovereign ordination. It's his sovereign will, not ours. And so we can trust in that. We can hold on to the rope of his sovereign ordination and hold on to the rope of Jesus Christ crucified for you. He who did not spare his own son how shall he not give us all things? The argument is from the greater to the lesser, the greater, the greatest expensive, most extravagant gift that has ever been given to you is the son crucified for you. Your sins paid for covered. What else is he not going to do for you? Everything else is less than that. Everything is yours. And you are Christ and Christ is God's. Hold on to the rope of Jesus Christ. Hold on to the rope of God's goodness. Father, thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for your glory. Thank you for your goodness, your power, your omnipotence, your infiniteness, Lord. Thank you for all the things that we don't even fully understand, but we know it's good and we, and we rest in that. We take comfort in that. It fills our hearts with joy, Lord. And that's where you want us at, in joy, in you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Job. Thank you for this, this illustration, Lord, of the way to live life. Father, thank you. Amen.